Welcome to the Start Here podcast for web development. I'm Keith Monahan, And I'm Dane Miller. And we're here to show you how to build a career in web dev. You can find us online at starthere.fm. Hey, Keith. How's it going? Good, Dane. How are you? Doing well. Had a pretty crazy week. How about yourself? I, I enjoy what I do, but this was like a week from hell. What made it so bad? I hope you I hope you were talking about web design hell or web development hell. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. So it uh, um we have a client who's really particular about their print material and so we had all this print material sent to our office so we could um proof it before we sent it to the client. And it took an incredible amount of time to go through it. Um I mean it was a good thing we did because I mean we found some inconsistencies and some some bad stuff but um it was just monotonous you know mm-hmm. imagine sifting through thousands and thousands of uh you know pages or something it's crazy know exactly what that's like <laughs> sifting yeah. through thousands of episodes <laughs> so it was um but otherwise yeah no it, it was good it was good cool so, so you've been productive um well, I guess let's back up. So we're, we're in a series right now where we're, this is the third episode we've done in our series where we are describing the process of doing a web development project. And mm-hmm. the project we're doing it for is our website, the yep. starthere.fm website, because it needs a redesign and we wanted to add some more functionality. So that's what we're doing. And so last, last week we talked about the project proposal and we kind of outlined the whole project. This last couple of weeks, Dane and I have been working on the project. And Dane, you've done some pretty fun stuff after we had our discussion about roles and like the domain language and stuff. We had another discussion off air that kind of hammered out even more more of that. And then you've been building. So can you kind of give us an outline about what you've done and, and in general, some of the backend functionality that you've enabled? Sure. Yeah. So... And what... What are you building it in? Did we ever talk about what language we decided to build it in? Yeah, we perhaps didn't. Uh, But yeah, so like you said, on the last episode, we had a a nice domain language discussion. I thought that was uh, really valuable. And typically in client client meetings, those are the types of discussions that are the most valuable because we found out all of the entities or most of Mm -hmm. them. And we found out a lot of the... Uh, database tables that we want and in sort of data modeling uh, that we wanted as well so what i did was i came away from that episode and simply started implementing some of that so a couple of the things just to give a high level overview are things like users uh, user roles and permissions authorization systems um, some some other things like obviously the the basic relationships right between the tables and the database and just mm-hmm. just how the data model communicates with each other um, I've, and just to sort of back up a little bit, we did decide to use rails for this. Mm-hmm. So we're using Ruby as the programming language and rails as the framework. And we are going to, in the future, uh, be adding a, a lot more of a complicated front end as well. But mm-hmm. right now, uh, we're going to focus on an MVP product and, and mostly going to be, we're mostly going to be serving static HTML files, but in the future, we totally are planning on going all JSON and, and adding one of these, mm-hmm. uh, client frameworks that we've all had experience with. Um, but for now, for sure. so, yeah, go ahead. 
Yeah, so MVP, minimum viable product. So we want to get this out and get it delivered so we can have a fresh new look and feel. So that's MVP, minimum viable product. And then can you tell, um, maybe explain why we decided with Ruby on Rails? Sure. So the I guess the reason that we picked it is mainly just because um, we had to choose a language that we had the most experience in and I have the most experience in Ruby and it allows us to iterate super quickly uh, yeah. having that experience. And that I think is one of the most valuable insights is having that ability to iterate as quickly as we can. And that's what Ruby on Rails gives us. Mm-hmm. Right. And you have so much experience with that. So it seemed logical to do that. Yep. We could have, we could have built it in WordPress. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. That's kind of my, uh, my domain, so to speak in programming, you know, working with PHP and then inside of the WordPress platform. But there's some things we wanted to do outside of that. And I think we wanted to optimize it so it was um, a little faster. Uh, WordPress can be a little bit slow. We didn't like that user experience. Yeah. And I think we also wanted to do this like a real development project, right? Mm -hmm. And WordPress has a lot of uh, things that you can do, but it doesn't do a lot of things that development projects normally do like right. uh you know building your object model like building your repositories building your controller layers building your model layers like mm-hmm. all of these different types of things we really you know keith uh also you know just wanted to sort of be involved in this whole process and so i think this is a, a learning experience for for everybody involved mm-hmm. but but yeah focusing on ruby has helped us iterate super quickly and actually i think you know we have done way more than we could have you know potentially even with wordpress although i'm not so sure but i think for sure if we were going with like a php framework like a laravel Mm -hmm. i think we've done more in rails than we could have done in in some other languages yeah it's been cool and so you've been posting this on 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 uh, github right you've been sharing the code with me as you've been developing it yeah and i get these responses because we we use um a chat platform to communicate back and forth about the show and about other things and uh so slack slack slack.com is what we use fantastic i love it i wish i used it at work and and dane you have it set up so um the github uh the pushes to get github actually get sent to slack as well which Mm -hmm. is so cool because i get a notification you know like when there's a push and then i can go and i can like read the code and compare it to what i know of php and so it's been kind of fascinating kind of watching that process. Yeah. And there's a lot of things that lead up to having um, a experience of sharing code go over well. And one of those is to uh, commit code in logical chunks based on units of work and then write really mm. good titles for the commits Yeah, such that uh, friends or, or peers that are reviewing the code can, can read and understand those chunks. And you definitely don't want to wait a long time before doing a commit. And, and what we're talking about here when we're saying commits, uh, it's just basically like FTP in a way, except GitHub and Git, uh, version control systems in general, they track your changes as you go. Mm-hmm. So imagine an FTP system where you dragged all of the files and then it automatically made a web page that showed you what changed. It's kind of like that. That's basically the gist. Mm-hmm. Um, no pun intended. Uh, uh, so yeah, I think all of those are critical factors in actually having somebody else be able to experience your code. And and obviously, I think Slack has really revolutionized that. I mean, at the day job, like we have Slack integrations for pretty much everything. So mm-hmm. you know, we make a commit. 
And if it's on master, it, it has um, continuous integration tests run against it. And then those are um, alerted in Slack as well. And we have sort of code analysis tools run against it that alert in Slack. Mm-hmm. And if all of that passes, then it will automatically push itself to production or staging or development. And then it will alert that in Slack. And all of that adds up to this insane level of productivity because wow. you never have to ask like, oh, did mm-hmm. you push that? Oh, did you do that? Oh, it's just all async. Just right there. Yep. Notifications async yeah that's so cool yeah so it's been fun and we never really talked about those titles or anything but those have been super helpful like how you've described your commits and like the different changes and things so yeah thank you for that that's cool yeah and just for anybody curious like what i um how to write a commit message uh just the shortest answer that i've ever gotten from a from anybody was from a phd uh candidate out of berkeley who worked with me at, for on an amazing project he's a genius named joe palastrate and his his uh saying is the commit title should only be 140 characters like a tweet mm. and then the commit summary should be like a body of an email hmm. because that's what you're doing you're kind of like emailing all of your coworkers about this code Theoretically, I mean, it's similar to an email in that way, especially yeah. if you have more than one developer. And so uh, I haven't been doing some of the the more like the descriptions, but but definitely as long as you follow the pattern that the title is no longer than like 140 characters and it's succinct. Mm-hmm. And if you have any details, move down to the commit body and put all those details in the body. Cool. It's super helpful. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so just to, to finish wrapping up. So uh, last week, like I said, you know, we had some user stuff, some roles and authorization stuff. The only thing I, didn't, I haven't really touched on yet that we did was we added a little bit of JavaScript. I added a, a few JavaScript libraries for the future that we'll use. And we did some future proofing because, again, uh, I think one of the, the benefits of something like Ruby on Rails and having experience in Rails is that I can see the problems that we're going to run into. And so being able to tweak things in the database and tweak things in the front end and such so that we can uh, get past those hurdles when we run into them quickly is incredibly beneficial. So mainly that's what I've been doing, just sort of making sure that we have the um, the car engines running so that mm-hmm. when we start moving really quickly here in the next couple of weeks, potentially, uh, we have that ability. See, and Dane, that is what's so awesome about having somebody who's experienced is, and especially with the platform and, and language, is that, you know, you you know some of the potential pitfalls and so you can think ahead and you can, mm-hmm. um, you can forestall those before they even happen, right? And so I think that's one of the primary differences between um, a beginner and someone who has more experience uh, is they can, you can think ahead, I guess, thinking ahead helps you write a better program to, to scale, yeah, and there's a lot of gotchas in every framework and every language. There's a million gotchas, right? And mm-hmm. it, the more gotchas you know, the more time you can save. And not yeah. everybody can remember them all, but I have a text file that has all the gotchas. <laughs> that's nice. All, that's all that's a good idea. Yeah. That's cool. So what about you? What have uh, what have you done over the past week? You were productive as well. You did a bunch of mock-ups and, and some stuff mm-hmm. that we'll talk about today, but do you want to just give like a recap? Yeah. So, you know, um, we talked about, and I guess this, this plays into the two different roles that we kind of play at our day jobs, even almost like you're mm-hmm. primarily like server backend. Mm-hmm. And at my job, I do mostly front end. I also do UX design essentially, which is understanding user flow to the website. And part of that is the information architecture, which helps you understand what's important when organizing the information. So it flows and it makes sense. I came away from our conversation, our domain conversation, kind of thinking more in lines of, of 
the information and how it can be structured on the page to make sense and logically. Yep. Um, and then I, we kind of had an idea last time about having like inline content for members, and we'll go into that a little bit, or from members. We'll go into that a little bit more um, in just a second. And so I've played around with a lot of different ways to display that. Mm-hmm. So primarily that is the product of, of this thought and, and brainstorming on my part has been um, coming up with some wireframes. And so that's kind of what we want to talk about this this week um, is wireframes. You know, what are they? Why would you use them? Um, kind of the steps before and then the steps after um, and different ways you can do prototyping. Mm-hmm. So what is a wireframe? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think it's a common term that perhaps isn't understood and it's perhaps not understood because of confusion it's just um i think used in a bunch of different ways i think people use the term wireframe to mean 10 different things right so uh also the word prototyping i think plays into this so Mm -hmm. actually what's funny is you and i had a bit of confusion about this earlier because you said prototyping and i immediately assumed you meant wireframing but some people do this differently Mm -hmm. so let's break it down so wireframing is usually using uh, the, the the general design guidelines for wireframing, it's like using a thick marker and mm-hmm. trying to draw the concept of the website, you know, draw the basic structure of your website using a thick marker. And the point of that is that you're not allowed to draw details. And you're actually mm-hmm. forbidden a lot of the times in these wireframing programs like balsamic or some of these ones that we'll link at the end here like mock-ups and go mockingbird Mm -hmm. you actually can't do anything detailed and that helps you stay creatively free to think about the big picture um and again this is often confused with prototyping what i usually think of when i think of prototyping is somebody that's actually doing html and css in the browser and they could be doing it really fast it could be uh, that a lot of designers view prototyping as mock-ups. So you don't mm-hmm. actually have to use a pen and paper and actually draw a mock-up before you start prototyping. Some people just jump right into it and they start throwing HTML and CSS down and just kind of, you know, feeling it out that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think yeah. me and you take a little bit more of a traditionalist approach and actually, you know, I, I think we both agree, like it is important to do those mock-ups first. Or wireframes, rather, wouldn't you say? I think so. I think that, you know, even if you have a vision for how what you want the website to look like, putting it on paper will help you understand that maybe what you see in your head won't, maybe it won't work like you thought it would, right? Mm-hmm. So the wireframe, the intention of the wireframe is to put different elements in, in places on the page, and then you can move them around like, okay, so should I have a right sidebar or a left sidebar or no sidebar, right? Mm-hmm. What, what makes sense? Getting back to that information architecture and the user experience, you know, maybe you shouldn't have a sidebar at all, right? Mm-hmm. And so, for example, if we're talking about creating a sales page for something, either a product or maybe an information product or something, mm-hmm. you want that to have one focus. And so you wouldn't want to put a sidebar on a sales page like that because it draws attention away from the primary objective of that page, which is to sell something, mm-hmm. right? So it's, you have to understand the, the business goals behind it when you're, when you're thinking it through and doing the, the wireframing. Um, and so that's kind of what it is, right? So the wireframing, it's, um, you get like a standard Sharpie, you just do it on paper, and I do that all the time. You can do an entire, 
You can mock up or wireframe or draw up an entire web page. You know, if you have an idea for how the, the whole structure of those sites going to work, you can yep. do each page by itself, and that's really helpful. But you can also, to start with, just do certain elements. If you have an idea for um, a specific section or piece of a page, you know, you can drop that too, and that's helpful in understanding where it can go. Yeah, I think what would you say um, is more important to you? Do you use wireframes as a exact architecture for the front end later? So do you literally uh, do very detailed wireframes and then kind of open them up later when you're doing HTML and, and reference them? Or are you like most people and you simply do wireframes to kind of collect your thoughts and then maybe you toss them in a folder, maybe you reference them, maybe you don't, but it's mostly a tool to like kind of collect thoughts. Like where do you fall on that spectrum? Great question. I typically... I will think I'm a very visual person, uh -huh. and so I will I will typically just sit down and after consuming the information about the you know the business goals and the content that's going to be displayed there, I will literally just sit down and think it through. Um, and in my mind, I'll create a web page and then I'll like click through it or like do different interactions and try and create interesting interesting elements. Um, and so I'll think through it there. And then typically from that stage, I go to a notebook. So I have a moleskin and I just sketch, you know, partials or full pages or whatever. And is, I think this is a critical stage in the moleskin. It seems as though you're in the first initial uh, visual thinking mm -hmm. stage. And I think mm -hmm. the reason you go to the notebook first and correct me if I'm wrong, it's because like you can iterate through page after page after page after page mm -hmm. really quickly. For sure. Yeah, it's super easy just to get a basic, just a basic page structure down mm -hmm. and then think about it. And and so it is important, um, like in my day job at the agency, like I, I will, I go through the same process there as if, you know, like I've done here with, with the Start Here project, yep. is I will um, do a sketch and then like at work, I'll take it to my boss and I'll say, um, okay, this is kind of how I'm thinking based on the, the, the business goals of the project is this close is this in line and most of the time he's like yes but change this or this or this and so once i've gone through one or two of those iterations then i'll move to the wireframes so the wireframes i use to i guess I, I i use those as a blueprint for myself yeah like you said i do use them for a blueprint when i do the front end design um, just so i can remember you know what i had thought about if it's a larger project but then I also use them to distribute. So I can give those to I can give those to our project manager to pass on to the client, right? So the client can look at those and approve them if that's appropriate for uh, for the client if they're if they want to be that involved. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. But then I can also take those wireframes and give them to our designers. Um, because typically we would do that information architecture UX design stage before we do a website design, the actual colors and styles and stuff. Got it. So it sounds like you do use it as a blueprint, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But it sounds like you also go through the phase of just using something, and it, it's a notebook in your case, as this tool to do visual thinking. And mm -hmm. I, I think listeners, uh, li you know, people listening to this could really could really get something out of that distinction that it is, it is important to have a blueprint uh, like a mock-up, but 
the key thing that you did is you went to the notebook first so that you could go through a, a hundred versions because I find this all the time. Like people in coding and in design, they have problems understanding where to start. And I feel mm -hmm. like what you just have to do is start writing the code, start writing, start drawing mm -hmm. the website. And you know, those first like 30 pages or the first 30 lines of code, they're, they're just going to get tossed out, but you just have mm -hmm. to start going. And I, I think we've brought this up or referenced this sort of concept a bunch, but it's important to drill home. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I would say that um, the initial step would be like thinking it through definitely and yeah. then going to like simple sketches and like layouts and stuff and then build your blueprint right and then the blueprint is literally what you like like a blueprint for a house it's literally what you build your website based off of the the structure the html and that kind of stuff yeah perfect the next question i wanted to ask was how do you mitigate the fact that a wireframe is by its very nature static but a website is very dynamic and mm -hmm. we're moving towards more dynamic websites. And this is what caused the trend that you'll see where people are moving away from mockups and wireframes mm -hmm. and moving into browser prototypes because they feel as though a browser prototype is more real. It's easier to see. It's less static. And I feel mm -hmm. as though this concept of static wireframes um, as an industry we we're kind of moving away from it, or at least we were, and it seems as though maybe that's waxing and waning in different cycles. What where do you what what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, great question again. Yeah. So I think that it depends on the site that you're building. I think that it's important to to wireframe still. The way that I handle that is uh, markup. So in my wireframing uh, tool, I use Basalmic and in my I've got different um, different things I can put in there. I can make a sticky note. Um, and I literally just make notes on the wireframe that say, you know, that describe the interaction. And then if it's an important, if it's important to display, um, display another view of something like either a pop-up or, um, uh, a state change on the page somehow, then I'll literally just, um, create a new, um, a new mock-up and, and just and just wireframe that as well and just reference it somehow and say, hey, when this thing gets pushed, reference this other mock-up. That's how it's going to look now. Yeah, I think that's a logical way to handle, um, obviously, adding notes to static design works. But but just to back up a minute, how do you even manage the, the mental hurdle there? Because... Um, you know, you have this concept of information design and a lot of people think that information design and getting the information on the page, they feel as though that's like a static thing. Okay, I just mm. need to organize information and people think that's all it is. And then you have this concept of wireframing and then you have this concept of UX and this concept of UI and all of these kind of mesh together in your head before you even start wireframing in your head. Are you imagining the site as a visual, as a, as a, ever-changing thing or do you in, imagine uh static images in your mind i'm wondering if you imagine more of like a movie in 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 the interaction first or, or what what you tend towards hmm yeah wow i haven't ever thought about this but i wow the, the mental image i see as i'm building it, it changes and initially I guess it would be a fuzzy, fuzzy, I guess it would just be kind of fuzzy, right? My mental image of the, of the page. And as I brainstorm and think about how things should look and interact, it becomes more clear. And 
I don't really think in color, right? Because that's not really part of the UX. That's more for the design. So I don't usually see color when I'm trying to like mentally process these things, but I'll see interactions or maybe animations or something like that. And I think that's a really organic approach that you just described, but I feel as though that's an organic approach because you've had the luxury of doing this for a while. And and that bubbling up of imagery is the exact same as mine. So I feel like it's just a product of our experience because the first thing I'll see is the, the fuzzy site. And then slowly you start to kind of feel the animations in your mind mm-hmm. of, of what it could be. And then mm-hmm. maybe that Im- informs your design. Um, but if this was to be, you know, taught to a, a beginner that perhaps needed some structure, would you tell yeah. them to actually begin visualizing it static? Maybe that's beneficial. Well, yeah, I don't know. I guess what I would say is I would start with, with the business goals, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Who's the target market? Yeah. What is the purpose of the website? Yeah. And how do you or how does the um, the owner or the person having you build this, how do they want the visitor to feel? And then you mm. can, I guess you can extrapolate that if you, if you go and you look at other similar sites, right? I guess that would be a great way to start is to kind of. Well, let's give it, let's give an example of what you mean by what you want the visitor to feel. Cause a lot of people don't understand that. So when you say, what you want the visitor to feel, uh, let me posit something and you tell me whether or not it's true. For instance, Wikipedia, when you go to Wikipedia, you feel informed, correct? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I think that's an example of what you're getting at. Like um, yep. a lot of people yep. get confused though because they, they, they go into this wireframing thing and they hear about web design and they hear about things like brands being quirky or brands being mm-hmm. being funny and, and, they, mm-hmm. and it, it's like hard to understand how the business goals can translate to a feeling. So how do you, how do, you do mm. that? Yeah, that's, that's another good question. And so I think we're, we're edging into user interface design which is definitely design and that's not my strong suit but i totally understand what you're saying i think uh what you gave the example you gave about wikipedia is is actually what i was thinking about well kind of uh typography is really important i think we all know that yeah or if you don't know that then just know that typography is important in conveying the feel of your website and it can be used subtly to to provide and you know that feel that impression and Wikipedia uses a, I don't know know exactly which font they use, but they use a font that makes you feel like this content is stable and... It's a serif font, first of all. Okay. Which is important Mm because it's a serif. uh, So what I I, I like where you're getting at, and let me just interject that I feel as though... um, when people think about this, they think too abstractly. You, when you think about what a website, what feeling a website gives you, you can actually think things like, uh, what font gives you, uh, what emotion? That, mm-hmm. that's a real thing. Like, it's not weird to consider that. It's completely valid. And similarly, the layout of information can make you feel different things. Like, by putting the profile image over here versus mm-hmm. over here, it changes the vibe that you get. And that sounds kind of hokey, but it, it's true 
through. And I feel like if users just kind of sat down and played with some mockups or just went to sites like, you know, went to Airbnb and then went to Facebook and mm-hmm. went to all these sites and, and felt the different vibes like Airbnb, their business is travel. They want you to feel like a jet setter. They want you yeah. to feel like living in the lap of luxury. They basically want you to have wanderlust when you go to their website and they succeed in that by showcasing yeah, all these amazing locations yeah. that you can visit. And that's how their business goals translated into a feeling. And for example, yeah, for example, you wouldn't, you wouldn't take a really bubbly font and put it on a corporate website or for a large hospital on their website. Because when you see a bubbly font, you think fun and engaging or maybe silly. Mm -hmm. And those things aren't typically what a typical corporation, I mean, I guess it depends, right? But your typical like stuck up corporation, you know, or whatever, right? Or or like a law firm, for example, that's a good example. Um, They want to feel authoritative and strong. Um, And so I guess that's just one example. Like, so font is really important. And then of course, I mean, we can't, we can't get into color because Dane and I are neither, neither of us are really designers, but, but that is huge and that is important. And so in the layout and the structure, you have to think about those things as well. Yeah, and and again, we aren't designers, and a lot of the people that are listening to this probably won't be designers. And if if you're listening to this and you're asking yourself the question, how can I give somebody a feeling without having color and without understanding the design aspect, that's a good question, and that's a good concern to have, I think. Part of the wireframing, I feel like, is thinking through the user flow, what the user's going to click on, how it's going to react when they click this this uh, disclosure triangle is, is it just going to open up text below or is it going to slowly animate the text as it, as it shows it below? Um, And that's part of the feel, I think. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think though it's really honestly super challenging for me personally to, to create mockups and wireframes without doing the color and, and other stuff. And I don't do color. I don't, I don't, I understand color theory, but I, I'm not a designer, so I can't do that aspect. And it's actually challenging for me to draw up a wireframe and try to make it feel a certain way because mm. I, I think it's challenging to to do that without the color and without the design mm-hmm. and the, and the yeah. text and the font and with a wireframe you're using a thick marker and you don't have any of those details yeah. so how much of a wireframe is actually caring about how the user feels and how much of it is just literally getting down the business flow hmm. that's a great question and i i think what you're getting out there is is true it's the the wireframing seems like it's more um, more about just getting the information on the page in a way that makes sense to the business. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that. Yeah. So, um, all, all of that to say that maybe the, the, the feeling of the website is really mostly left up to the UI, the user interface design stage. Potentially. Yeah. I think what we just highlighted in that meandering sort of understanding of, of wireframing in general and those questions is just that, you know, it's a challenging thing and you basically just have to experiment and do all kinds of weird wireframes. I think me and you have done tons of different variations of wireframes. I've done wireframes on every app that mm-hmm. has ever existed for wireframes <laughs> on every type of paper, you know, notebooks. And the reason is just simply because, you know, you maybe you can uh, do a better one in a different format. And I think that like allure of like doing a better wireframe, maybe then if we did a better one, the user would have a more powerful emotion visiting the site because we did it better. You know, it's like that whole mm-hmm. thing. And I would just encourage users to simply uh, go out there and experiment. 
for sure. And I guess we should point out here that until recently, there wasn't this clear distinction. And I don't think there is still a clear distinction between some of the roles we've been mentioning, like uh, UX designer or UI designer, you know, or even uh, front end web developer or, you know, UX developer. Or the classic one, right? The one that everybody's the most confused by is interaction designer. <laughs> what does that do? Exactly, right? And so the industry is is in a phase where we're trying to figure this stuff out. And that's yeah. why I think I think probably that's probably why we're struggling as we're trying to convey um, these differences is because there's still like these positions are still being defined by the industry. And there's a great article I read recently that that kind of looked at the f- uh, five front end web developer positions or just front end positions in general for for this industry um, and gave an interesting definition for them. And I don't know if, if that will take off and that's going to be the true definitions, but it was an interesting article that that kind of it helped me clarify some things. So I'll, I'll put that in the show notes. Just to reiterate that one more time, because that is a brilliant point, is that the extent to which you feel as though this conversation that we've just had blurs the lines between these roles is most likely the extent to which they are actually blurred. And I should say, at at work, when I'm designing a wireframe, I actually have a back and forth with our designer. Ah, so you you actually work in a a sort of a cross-functional environment with your designer. You actually sit right next to him, don't you? I do. Yeah, I do. And so it is, um, we typically take the UX design and UI design um, and even information architecture part of it collaboratively yeah. to, to a point. And that's the most efficient way that I've seen. Um, it definitely, I don't, I don't think an entire project has to be done in an agile fashion. And I know a lot of people probably don't know the term agile. It just don't worry about the semantics or the formal definition of it. It does have a formal definition, but just, just think of it as uh, moving quickly, developing projects quickly and doing things efficiently and optimally. And I think the most important part of a project beyond all, unless it's of a certain complexity, then maybe the development portion as well. But the most important part I think is the beginning the design, the wireframes, the UX, the mockups, if the designer and the front-end developer are working together, and especially if there's like a business analyst, or Keith, it sounds like you're acting as the business analyst as well. And that is a brilliant combo. Love that. Yeah, it's it's been fun. Yeah, and and definitely there's more or less interaction depending on what part we're focusing on. But um, yeah, 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 it's a lot of fun. And it's, yeah, definitely read the article. Um, I think it's like five positions of the front end web developer or something like that. And I'll, I'll find it and post it there um, because it does kind of describe these positions or these you know, loose roles uh, in a different way. Totally. And then we'll also just post the an article on UI versus UX. Uh, it was written by somebody. I don't know who, but it's a really good article <laughs> about UI versus UX. If, if you're unclear on those topics, we'll post that. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is an article that Dane wrote that um, has been at the top of the Google results results for that for that search phrase. So I didn't even know about it till tonight. And I'm super excited to read it because this is something I've just uh, been exploring uh, this this idea of UX designer. So yeah, totally. We'll post that too. Uh, real quick, though, before we move off the topic of, of I guess, wireframing in a way, uh, mm-hmm. would you say the productivity so I, I sit on the outside of your company. I'm not a part of your company, but I see that mm-hmm. you guys churn out websites like it's your job, which it is, but you churn out mm-hmm. websites pretty quick, quick, pretty quickly. And yeah. obviously to an extent that's WordPress, but I really believe 
your productivity seems to be increased by your iteration cycles being so short with that designer. So the fact that you're like sitting right there next to him, that mm -hmm. is really interesting to me because I work at a company where we have a, a multiple designers that we contract with. And then we mm -hmm. have a executive team that has to make decisions. And then I sit in the middle. I, I mediate those designers' uh, designs. I mediate the interactions between them. I collect feedback. And what happens is the rounds of feedback end up lasting a week, mm. like a week, right? Oh, so wow. it's like all the execs have to sort of give their opinion. Then we collect that into a document. I have to sort of sanity check it and sort of combine requests and all that. And then that goes off to the designer. And mm. that makes projects last forever. Yeah, no, I, I totally believe that um, we're able to produce these websites more quickly because, you know, because we sit right next to each other mm -hmm. and we, we engage each other in the conversation when we have questions about stuff. And one thing that's been fun is that when I get to the, uh, to actually building the front end um, with HTML and CSS, I, I get to bring, and I have a question about a particular element, maybe that wasn't in the initial style guide i i do my my best guess to style maybe it's a button or maybe it's some call to action something um i do my best to style that based on what i know and then i bring the designer literally i just say hey come and look at this <laughs> and so they sit over my shoulder and are like oh well let's uh decrease the size of that line maybe change the shade of this color and then while they're there i literally do the changes in the in the css and the html in the so chrome console see it. right well, or live, or I just code it right ah, there. Okay. Um, I mean, if it's a long conversation, then I have to go back and try and find all the changes. Mm -hmm. So that's frustrating. Um, that'd be real. Is that a feature actually where you can go in and you can see the changes you've made in the Chrome console? No, I just meant like when I was working at an agency, I would always have the designer come over and then just make those changes in the Chrome developer tools, like with the yeah. CSS. But I mean, like, is there a way you can you can tell the developer console to say, "Hey, just show me all of the things that I changed." Oh, um, not with CSS, but you can with JavaScript. There's a way to oh. actually uh, edit the JavaScript in the console and then have it saved yeah. to files. Which is crazy. Totally cool. Okay. No, I just do it live because if it's a long conversation, I don't want to have to go back and find 30 different CSS changes. Yep. Um, and that has worked really well. They don't. The designers don't mind sitting there while I just change you know the color of something or yep. uh, increase or and it's easier for them to be like well let's try this real quick or let's try this you yep. know instead of having that that um, really lengthy back and forth round yeah. so yeah absolutely it, it is super agile in that way yeah and so i think the thing that listeners could take away from that is you know not everybody works at an agency not everybody works on a cross-functional team but um if you're learning web development find somebody that's learning web design if you're mm -hmm. learning, uh, you know, web development, find another person who's learning web development, but perhaps is learning a different type, front end versus back end, yeah. and work with them together. Get used to this cross-functional environment. The future is going to be full of cross-functional teams, and mm -hmm. we really need to embrace it. For sure. I 100% agree. So talking about wireframes and the user experience design, um, we had a question for you guys. What is there something that you, a project that you've been thinking about, like as we've talked about wireframing, are you picturing like the process, your process for going through and doing this, thinking through and then sketching and then wireframing on a particular project? If you're thinking about a particular project, we would love to see some wireframes that you've done or you will do in the next week. Yeah. Uh, so that's our challenge to you is to, um, to go do a wireframe. 
find a project that, that you like or just come up with one and do a wireframe. We'd love to see it. I'm going to post... Um, we didn't really get to talk about the wireframes that I, I've made in the past little while. I've got three different very, uh, iterations, and we're going to post uh, those iterations here. Um, and, you know, maybe I'll take some pictures of my notebook too um, because the wireframes could be daunting, right? Because mm-hmm. you can these are kind of a final product of this process. And so maybe I'll post some of my uh, pictures of my notebooks. So you guys can see that it is really, really rough to begin with. Yeah, that's a great insight. We should definitely post those. And, and I think one quick little thing I would note is if you're listening to this and you don't have an idea in mind of, a, of an app or a website that you want to build, um, just prototype a innovative uh, website for librarians like just pick anything like we could we could tell you right now like if you don't have an idea for a project uh yeah that's great librarians yeah librarians like make a website for librarians and make it like or the even most... a mobile app a mobile app that could allow librarians to check in books check in remotely books. yeah check in books remotely and what you will want to do is if you've never done this process before just go to all the sites that inspire you you know hop over to the verge go to sites that are different and unique you know go to just any site that that you've seen in the past that inspires you with the design and then go back to your uh, notebook and try to incorporate some of those innovative elements that those websites have done so you know go to facebook do you want a profile on this site do you want it to be like facebook do you not and then mm-hmm. utilize some of the stuff that we discussed utilize um this business analysis concept try to figure out what kind of business is this if it's for a librarian you know you obviously mm-hmm. understand that and and then try to see how that business um could be best brought to the web using your your mock-ups and again uh you know we would love to see them right yeah absolutely so send us uh send us a couple pictures of your um your sketches and or your 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 mock-ups digital or you know pen and paper uh, we'd love to see them we're gonna go we're gonna actually post them on the show notes for this uh this episode so i'll post mine in the gallery and then as we get more uh coming in we'll continue to put them in there so just know that if you send them we're going to share them online mm-hmm. um and we're super excited yeah so um yeah engage with us i want to see what you guys come up with and you can see where where we come from and if you have any questions at all about about this topic feel free to leave uh, some comments on the show notes uh for this episode and that's starthere.fm slash webdev slash 17 and and we'll get back to you right away yeah and also uh we've had a lot of people reaching out over twitter at our uh, our show twitter which is at start here fm and yeah we've had we've got a, a bunch of people on, on that twitter account that, that are following us and we have a bunch of uh, great communication every now and then but we would love to definitely have more communication so uh if you have any questions and it fits in 140 characters i i think tweeting is is definitely the most efficient way sure we love it we are typically on twitter uh, all the time and we're happy to respond so if you just have a quick question about something or about just web you know beginning or starting a career in web development in general uh twitter is a great way to to reach us yeah if, if you can't find uh somewhere on the website that makes sense to do yeah and also i mean twitter the reply time you, you're looking at if you send us an email it might take a day but twitter you know it's a couple hours we'll get back to you so thanks for listening uh you can you can find us on itunes and if you want to leave us a review there we would love it um we love itunes reviews those are great so we'll talk to you next time bye bye, bye.